So we're going to talk about zeal again this morning. Um, last week we looked at hunger and zeal. I want to look at the same thing um, again this morning. So if we, you've got your Bibles, we're going to still be in that one little verse in Romans 12. Romans 12 verse 11. I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump straight in. Father, I want to thank you for your outrageous goodness towards us. Thank you for your persistent faithfulness. Thank you, God, that um, you never give up on us. Um, and Father, thank you that um, just walking with you is... God, it's such an adventure that there's always more. Um, so, Lord, we want to we want to press in for more of you this morning, Jesus. We want to be more like you because of this morning than we were last night. God, we we want more of you. We want to represent you well. Um, we want to see your kingdom come increasingly in us and through us. Um, so, would you open up your word to us, God? Um, Holy Spirit, come challenge us, change us, make us more like Jesus. And we pray in His wonderful name. Amen. Okie dokes. Romans 12 verse 11 says this, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So we recap last week, you know, what is zeal? And said, you know, it's not really a word we use pretty much any time in 21st century UK, really. Um, but biblically, it's there a lot. Um, and so we landed on this definition that, that biblical zeal, the zeal that we should never be lacking in, is has kind of got two elements to it. It is a passionate internal state that expresses itself in radical action. So it's, it's passion on the inside, but with an out, radical action um, on the outside. And so there's this, the in and the out. And so looking at these things like zeal and fervor, um, you know, we looked at some dictionary definitions, and it, and it kind of, sort of similar words, it's like intensity, eagerness, enthusiasm, desire, diligence, endeavor, like it is quite practical as well. And, and so the, the challenge and the question is, are those things words that describe my walk with Jesus? Are those things that describe my life? Am I enthusiastic? Am I diligent? Do I really go for stuff? Because biblically, I think they should be and they need to be. Um, and so we challenged ourselves to not kind of defer to you know, personality or culture or environment. You know, this verse in Romans is a is a biblical command to all of us to never be lacking in zeal, to keep our spiritual fervor. It's something that we need to be doing. And so last we looked at the place of worship, so in a, sort of in a corporate setting in terms of worship as our song. Um, you know, what, what is the place of worship in this journey into you know, zeal for God and as part of this journey into hunger? And what is, you know, the question is, you know, for each of us, you know, what does me bringing authentic, costly worship look like? I'm not going to be prescriptive in that, but, you know, we looked at some things and actually, you know, what does that look like? It's authentic, but it costs me something. You know, do I settle for what is comfortable for me, for kind of where I am at, who I'm with, my personality, or actually am I willing to stretch sometimes? Um, so that's what we looked at last week. But I think the thing is this, if we, you know, if we think worship is limited to a you know, set of songs on a Sunday morning, we've absolutely missed it. Um, you know, this call to be zealous in Romans 12 is in the context of serving the Lord. Yeah? Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor as you serve the Lord. Now, our primary calling, we said last week, the primary way that we serve God is in worship, that I minister to him before I minister for him. But true worship is absolutely the songs we sing, but it's absolutely the life I live as well, how we love and serve other people. That all of our lives is worship. And so I want to look at that kind of, I suppose, worship as our, our lifestyle as opposed to just our song. Um, and honestly, we could ask ourselves those same two questions. Okay, what does a 
What does zealous worship look like? You know, passion on the inside, but with radical expression. What is a radical expression of worship? What, in terms of my lifestyle, how I live? You know, what does me bringing authentic, costly worship look like? 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Like, what does that look like? You know, do I set off what's comfortable, what fits my personality, what, you know, fits with where I'm at right now, or am I willing to stretch and really bring something that costs? It's challenging questions, but it, we have to understand that worship is the whole of our lives. In the beginning of this chapter in Romans 12, um, the very first verse, Paul starts like this. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's the whole of our lives, completely set apart, entirely dedicated to the Lord's. And you know, in the whole way through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, you know, there's there's some stern words um, about you know any temptation that we'd end up kind of going through religious motions. You know, we'd sing the songs, we'd kind of we'd do the events in the Old Testament. You know, they do the they celebrate the festivals, they do the fast, they do the offerings, and you know, bring that into our day. You know, we'll, we kind of we give to the offering and we serve on a team and we do the stuff. That if that is disconnected. Um, to a genuine heart to love and serve the poor, to mind about justice, then actually we've not got there and there's something that is always going to grate. It's like that's kind of not enough. And, you know, Jesus is really, really clear. He's, you know, if you love me, obey my commandments. Don't just sing me songs. Definitely sing. But, but you have, there's more than that. You know, and his commandments are really clear. Go and make disciples, feed my sheep, visit those in prison, feed those who are hungry. Like, it's clear what we're supposed to do. And so genuinely loving God is an extravagant song of worship, but an extravagant life of service as well. And we need to be as zealous for worship in the whole of our lives as we are zealous in worshiping God in a song. And understand that, the, you know, whatever we do, and Jesus tells this amazing story about the sheep and the goats, whatever we do for the least... You know, for that guy or gal we meet on a Friday evening, the, the whatever we do for the least, we do it for him. It's worship. It's bringing an offering to him by serving other people. So, listen, this is no way am I saying, you know, it's not devaluing worship. Um, ministering to him is our first priority. It's our highest call, but it's the start of something, not an end in itself. You know, Phil, I encourage you to listen back. Phil did an amazing message a bit ago on um looking at intimacy and action and that actually sometimes we can think it's a balancing act i have to have a certain amount of kind of worship and encountering the lord and time with him and and sort of an equal and opposite amount of doing things for him and that somehow it's a set of scales and you know the challenge in church leadership is how, how do i how do i sort this balance out but actually you know phil's mess the, the crux of that message is it's not balance it's order it's which comes first and it's worshiping jesus it's encountering the king and then it's serving and extending his kingdom. It's order, not balance. But there has to be an out. Like the whole of our lives are worship. You know, set apart, dedicated to him and for him. And so, you know, if we are to be zealous for God, zeal for the Lord must be expressed in sacrificial worship and sacrificial living. You know, and we can't have one without the other. And so I want to look at that this morning. There's a, a um, an American Bible scholar called Skip Moen who, um, has a brilliant website, um, it's called Word for the Day, and he looks at kind of basically unpacking the original language, which if you're not a scholar, like most of us, we don't know Greek, Hebrew, um, that is really helpful. Talking about zeal um, and the, the Old Testament Hebrew word, which is kana, 
Q-A-N-A. Um, I want to read a quote um, where he's talking about this, which because I think it kind of sums up this whole, you know, the the bigness of zeal in terms of zeal for the Lord in, in worship and in service. So he says this, there's this word, kana. It is quite literally the state of existence that is consumed with exalting God by maintaining purity of worship and purity of obedience. It is exactly what Jesus had in mind when he suggested that those who love him will keep his commandments. This is not a condition built on a feeling. This is a commitment to thought and action. God's zealots are sold out to his word, honoring its every implication in order to show reverence to their king. They take every opportunity to worship, offering thanksgiving and praise to their Lord. They live to serve him. Nothing and no one gets in the way. That's zeal. That's being zealous for God. That's what you and I can be, should be, will be. Zealous for him in that way. That's the journey. And so growing in hunger requires for us to grow in this kind of zeal. Um, So I love some of those things he pulls out. I I feel like it... It pulls in a lot of the things we've been looking at over the last few weeks. You know, worship and obedience. You know, a real purity in those things. That authenticity. I'm not doing this to impress. I'm not doing this because I feel conformed to one thing. Or another. This is genuinely me. Me, the fullness of me showing up. Um, it's not about waiting for a feeling. It's about a commitment to a lifestyle. It's not waiting till we, on a Friday night, suddenly feel overwhelmed with this desire to go and feed the homeless. It's about saying, listen, I'm commanded to do it. Like it's commitment, it's discipline. The Bible's made it really clear. And that we would show reverence to God. You know, that's why it's worship. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, listen, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, because of what he's done, the only adequate response is to lay down the whole of our lives for him. Like that, that's where worship comes from. Worship comes from my, my view of what Jesus has done for me. That's why worship is so important because it's those times when we lift our eyes up again and we sing and we remind ourselves and remind each other, look at what God's done. And the only adequate response, I mean, it's never enough. You know, the whole of our lives isn't ever enough, but that's, there isn't anything else we can bring. But all of who we are, you know, worship in song and in lifestyle is a response to the goodness of God. And that nothing, I love the way he finishes it. I'm going to read it again to you. God's zealots are sold out to his word, honoring its implication in order to show reverence to their king. They take every opportunity to worship in a song and in service, offering thanksgiving and praise to their Lord. They live to serve him. Nothing and no one gets in the way. You know, and I think that's a challenging question to, to think about. Okay, all right, Sarah, you want to genuinely give all of what you are in worship, in service, what gets in the way? Because zeal says, excuse me, zeal says nothing and no one gets in the way. <clears throat> That's why Phil's message on idolatry is so important because there's, if there's stuff that is in the way, that is on the throne, that is my focus, other than Jesus, then, then I'm, I'm going to be hamstrung to a certain extent. Actually, to be zealous means nothing and no one is going to get in the way of me bringing a genuine offering of worship and serving the best I know how. That's what zeal looks like. That's the journey. But listen, I don't know about you, but for me, honestly, I'm not there yet. You know, the reality is that isn't what my life looks, sounds, and feels like much of the time. Now, we talked, we started this journey. We said, listen, there's, there's no point 
kind of beating ourselves over the head if we're not where we need to be. Just let's be real. This is where I find myself right now. Not to be discouraged, but not to disqualify ourselves and settle for, well, this is where I am. This will do. Um, there's not. But there, you know, there are times when I'm not zealous. Actually, I'm not you know, stirring my spiritual fervor. You know, I'm not intentional about those things where actually my worship is half-hearted, is, you know, is a token gesture rather than a costly response. Um, and I, I would guess I'm not the only one. And um, you know, There's times when I'm not there yet. So I want to look this morning at a, a passage in Revelation where Jesus is talking, um, it's a message for the church in Laodicea, because I think it's really helpful in terms of kind of because I don't want for us to feel stuck. I don't want us to feel like, well, this is where we could be and this is where God wants us to be. But I just, and this is where I am now and I recognize there's a gap. Like I really feel like the Holy Spirit wants to help us move so we don't just constantly stand going, well, I'm here, that's where I could be, now what? And I think there's some real keys in this passage from Revelation. So I'm going to read it to you. And it's Revelation 3. We're going to read verses 14 to 20. So this is, if you don't know, this is, um, in the Revelation is the last book in the Bible. And, it's, and it basically, the Holy Spirit was revealing specific messages to specific churches in specific real geographical locations. But there's definitely stuff for us to learn from as well. So this is the church in Laodicea, is verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this. The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those that I love, I reprove, or rebuke, and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, and eat with him, and him with me. Alrighty. It's a challenging passage. So the, the kind of the crux of it, you know, if you like, you know, the, the real beef Jesus had with this church was their lukewarm nature, yeah? They weren't cold, weren't sort of rejecting Jesus outright, weren't in outright rebellion or, you know, total unbelief, but they absolutely weren't hot either in terms of being kind of zealous and passionate for God, on fire for him and his kingdom, you know, in that inward state or with the external expression of that. So they were neither one nor the other, um, and as a result, it's quite strong imagery. Actually, I will spit you out of my mouth. I don't think that's about losing of salvation. Um, I actually think this is interesting when I, I didn't know this, but it's very specific, I think, the imagery that's used here because of this church. So Laodicea was a town, nearby town called Hierapolis, which was really famous for its hot springs, which obviously for health and all the rest of it. So there were the one town nearby that had these hot springs, hot water. Colossae, where the Colossian church was, was really famous for its cold, mountain, clear, pure water. Laodicea didn't have either of those two things. It was actually known for its dirty, tepid, lukewarm water, which had to travel miles and miles and miles through a very clever underground aqueduct. But the result of it was it was really lukewarm, so much so that visitors would literally spit it out because it was like, it's not what I'm expecting and that's not pleasant. 
So that, that kind of makes a bit more sense, doesn't it? It's like, okay, well, I, I get that language now. So please, I, I don't think it's saying that it's not you lose your salvation. I don't believe that. That's not what it's saying. But it, it's, a, it's a strong imagery, and it makes me think, you know what? Actually, when I am lukewarm, that is, it's a, unpalatable to Jesus. Like, actually, it's, it's, it's not what he wants for me. Um, so, so what can we take from that? Yes, it was a specific message to a specific church back then, but absolutely that could be written to most of us, I would think. Most churches, most Christians at some point need to hear that message to the church in Laodicea because we can end up being lukewarm. So what do we do about it? How do we, how do we bridge that gap? Um, I think the first thing is, is really where we, I spoke on when we introduced this series is you know, just recognize where you're at. You know, start where you are. Um, and so the first thing is to recognize our lack. So if, the, if the biblical call is that we would never be lacking in zeal, you know, my honest assessment is sometimes I am. So I need to recognize and own my lack, what I don't have. Um, you know, I think that, you know, that again, it was part of this kind of challenge to the Laodicean church was that they didn't either recognize or acknowledge actually their lack, their need, their spiritual poverty in some senses. You know, it's this very self-sufficient, hey, I'm rich, I'm prosperous, I've got this, I'm good. Got this, I've got this down. Now listen, that, that doesn't need to necessarily look like I don't need you, Jesus, but there's totally ways I know that I could be tempted to become really self-sufficient. I've got, you know, I've got this. I'm all right. I'm doing okay. Um, actually, where the, the challenge to this church was, you know, you think you're fine. You think you've got this. You are blind. Actually, you don't realize you're really in a mess. These things aren't okay. Now listen, always the challenge with, with, with this is that we don't then fall into, you know, horrible orphan-heartedness, which is, oh, I'm just such a miserable, awful, dreadful sinner, and I'm so unworthy, and Jesus must hate me, and I'm awful. And, like, that's not it. You know, we're co-heirs with Christ. We are deeply loved and perfectly and forever accepted by Father God. Like, that, I don't budge from that place, okay? But I do need to say, hey, I really need Jesus. And actually, outside of and away from Jesus, I am absolutely wretched, poor, pitiable, blind, and naked. I absolutely am, and so are you. So this isn't about, you know, am I saved, am I not saved? But it's like, actually, am I really leaning in? Am I really full? The Bible is really clear that actually the, almost the first step to, to stepping into something new is actually you have to recognize I'm, I need it. You know the Beatitudes in the beginning of in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor, blessed are the blessed are the. One at the very first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. Other translations say, blessed are those who recognize their need for God. It has to be our start-off point. Not that we have to kind of get re-saved every day. I'm not saying that. You are saved, accepted, deeply loved by God. You're his child. He loves you. You know, and then we can look at our lives and go, I'm so unworthy, but the thing is, Yes, but he, call, he counts you worthy. He calls you worthy. So whether you feel it or not, he calls you worthy. So, we ha- so please, let's not fall into being kind of, do you know what I'm saying, like orphan-hearted. Like, that's not it. But I have to recognize my need of God. You know, it says in the Bible, doesn't it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But Jesus also said, but apart from me, you can do nothing. So we have to recognize our lack, our need, our desperate and continuing need of Jesus. The second thing is to embrace God's discipline. I know that doesn't sound super comfortable or popular, but um, honestly, we'd be crazy not to. 
Now, God does these. I think there's an opportunity. There's an absolute opportunity always for, um, for zeal to be increased and, and I suppose created in our lives. And God does these. Two, he's committed to doing two things. He will reprove and he'll discipline. So reprove means he'll, he'll rebuke. He'll, he'll point stuff out. Like that's, and you know what? Which of you parents would not point out and discipline, you know, things in our, in our kids? Like we wouldn't. We need to embrace God's discipline and his challenge and know that it's absolutely because he loves us. And so actually, you know, we don't need to just almost reluctantly tolerate it. Honestly, I, I want to lean in for it. Be like, Jesus, show me anything in me that isn't like you, that isn't like the me that I know you created me to be. Like, show me, tell me. Like, and we shouldn't be fearful of it. He's a good father and he loves us. That's, that's why... That's why he rebukes. That's why he challenges. That's why he didn't just leave the Laodicean church to their own devices and said, well, you know, crack on, see how that works out for you. He went after them and said, listen, this lukewarmness in you, it's not okay. Um, so lean in, in, embrace rather than tolerate reluctantly God's discipline. The, um, the message translation of this verse, um, Revelation, verse 19, says it like this. I think this is brilliant. It says, the people I love, I call to account... I prod and correct and guide them so they'll live at their best. Up on your feet then, about face, run after God. That's a good challenge, right? The people I love, I call to account, prod, correct and guide so they'll live at their best. That's what God's discipline is about. Actually, us being called to account. So listen, guys, this is who you are. This is what I've done for you. This is your inheritance. This is your mission. You're not living at your best yet, and he'll come after us. And that's a good thing, and I want to encourage us. Embrace that. Don't run away from it. Don't resist it. Embrace it. The third thing we can do, and our only response, is to repent. So if we're, listen, if we're looking to be zealous, to kind of stir up zeal and to kind of stoke those spiritual fires within us, if we're only, only, only doing that and not repenting of the things that God is prodding us over, then we're going we're to stay stuck. Okay? If, if I want to have zeal for the Lord, I have to start here and repent of the things that he is highlighting. You know, and again, repentance is nothing, nothing, nothing to be feared. Repentance is an absolute expression of God's kindness. It says that in Romans 2. In his kindness, he leads us to repentance because he wants us to live at our best and within his best. And so he's, he's not going to just leave us in our stuff. He's going to highlight those things. He's going to rebuke. He's going to challenge. He's going to discipline. But listen, I have to own that stuff and repent of it. You can't do that for me. I can't do that for you. I need to repent. You know, God is so interested. He's so committed <laughs> to our abundance of life and for you know, having a people who are zealous for him that he's absolutely willing to come after us to, to rebuke, to discipline so that we are on fire for him. But we need to repent. Philip's translation in this verse, verse 19, says, translates it like this. Therefore, shake off your complacency and repent. So other translations are be zealous and repent. Part of repenting is... An, isn't complacency the thing? Isn't like complacency that is that lukewarm thing, isn't it? Yeah? 
So we have to, it's two sides. Honestly, I think it's two sides of the same coin. If I want to get hungry for God, I need to repent and be zealous. I need to deal with complacency in order to be fervent spiritually. And if all we're trying to do is kind of stir up things spiritually without dealing with the complacency, the compromise, the sin, the lukewarm stuff that's on the other side, if we're not repenting of that stuff, like we're not, you know, it's like we're only moving forward with one foot. When all we're going to do is this. I'm trying to get zealous. I'm trying to get... It's like, repent. You've got to shift this leg too. Complacency keeps us lukewarm. You know, if zeal is this authentic, passionate state within me that drives me into these radical action, complacency is the complete opposite of that. It keeps me lukewarm and static. Um, if, I'm, you know, if I'm complacent towards actually what Jesus has done for me, I'm not keeping his mercy kind of front and center if I'm complacent about what he's done for me, then I'm not going to be zealous in worship. You know, complacency is a kind of shrug your shoulders, meh, meh, it's all right, that'll do. You know, just neither here nor there. And that's not good enough. You know, gosh, how? I mean, if you think about it logically, you know, Jesus gave his very life that I would be set free. How can I possibly be complacent in my response to that such incredible love and kindness and faithfulness? Like, can you see why lukewarm complacency is just like, it's like, oh, it's so distasteful, that image of, blech, get that out of my mouth. It's like, look what he's done for us. Complacency is, the it's horrible. You know, if I'm complacent about the fact that there are people who I know and love who don't know Jesus and are not going to heaven, I'm not going to be zealous in going and telling them. And so as much as I can try and hype myself, stir myself up into, I must tell, Jesus about, tell people about Jesus, if I don't first deal with the fact of, do you know what, I don't know if I care enough, I, don't, I feel like I'm complacent over the fact that people don't know Jesus, then it's, it's going to be, does this make sense? It's going to be hard to be zealous to go if I haven't dealt with my complacency over that fact. You know, if I'm complacent about the fact that there are people in my city, you know, who are in addiction, who are on the streets, who don't have a home, who are, like, uh, that's not okay. I can't look at the news and see, you know, injustice and think, eh, never mind, what's for tea? Like, I can't be complacent over those things. Listen, and it, it, it has to be walking in step with the Holy Spirit. It's so easy to become overwhelmed by the need, isn't it? And sometimes I think, gosh, what can I do? You've just got to walk hand in hand with Jesus and say, well, what do, I, what do I need to do? What's my part in it? And pay attention to that. But listen, if we're going to move into being a zealous people for God in action as much as in our song, we have to deal with complacency. And honestly, I think in the West, we're so complacent because we can be, because we are rich in so many ways, because there is, you know, that we have so much. It's so easy to be complacent, which is lukewarm, which is just so unpalatable to Jesus. And it just keeps us stuck. So if we are going to be a zealous people, wholeheartedly and extravagantly worshipping Jesus with all that we are, Folks, we have got to deal with complacency. We have to take serious this call to be zealous and repent. You know, we have to repent. Shake off your complacency and repent. It's really challenging. The fourth thing I think we can do is to return. Repenting and returning to God, they have to happen together. You know, there's a consistent invitation throughout the Bible, all the way through the Old and the New Testament, to come back to God. You know, all the time, Jesus, if you look through um, 
Jesus, every time he meets someone who's sick, he's always, it's this invitation, just come to me, come to me. Jesus says it explicitly, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Constant invitation, he's come and find life and purpose and meaning. All through the Old Testament, you know, God through his prophets, continually when, you know, Israel is, you know, off worshipping other gods and doing other things, the, the call is always, return to me, return to me, all the time, all the time. Listen, don't stop at repentance. Definitely repent. Definitely shake off complacency. But return to God afterwards. It's actually, it's, it's not one and the same thing. It's two different things. And actually, if we, you know, if we just repent, I'm really, really sorry, but we don't then come back into knowing that restored, close connection and community with God, we're missing it. And listen, repenting and coming to God isn't a one-time thing we do when we accept Jesus. That's not the only time I choose to come to God. Like my whole life, you know, it's the, it's, it's the rhythm of, you know, just being a Christian disciple is actually repenting and returning. But don't forget to come to him, to return. Yeah? Look at these invitations. This is Isaiah 55. It's an example in the Old Testament. Isaiah 55 verse 1 says this. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, Come. Buy grain and eat. Come buy wine and milk. Without money, without cost. Simply accept it as a gift from God. It's kind of confusing, isn't it? Well, I'm buying it, but there's no cost. What? I haven't got anything, but I can come and buy. I haven't got any money, but I can come. It's a, it is. It's that free gift of salvation. We know that. But, but there is this requirement. Like, come and get what you need. So can you see this process? You know, recognize your lack recognize your need for God, recognize your need for, for God to change your heart, to kind of you know, inspire you, to fill you with his spirit, to open your eyes to see what you can do, what you should do, what he is doing. Like Recognize your lack, embrace his discipline. God, show me, change me, make me more like Jesus. Repent of the things that he's highlighting, but return, always, always, always return. And again, right in the end of the Bible, in Revelation 22 verse 17, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. From the beginning to end of the Bible, there's this invitation from the Lord for us to come, come to Him to find what we need. And so I think, I think we need to understand again this dynamic. You know, we looked last week at saying, Listen, there is a responsibility on me. To be zealous, and that's what it says. Actually, let us keep ourselves fueled and aflamed. Yeah, and when Paul is talking to Timothy, he says, you know, fan into flames that gift that is in you. It's stir it up, as other translations say. So we have to understand there is a responsibility on us to do that. But I think we need to be careful that we don't hear that saying it is all on me, because on the flip side, these verses are telling me, listen, there's stuff I absolutely can't do. I can't change. I can't get. I have to come to God and say, I need this. Like, I need you to start that fire in me yes there's a responsibility on me to keep it fueled to stir myself in reading the word in worshiping god in listening to testimonies in in being in communion with other believers like yes people there is a responsibility on us to stir those things up not just sit back and wait and god can make me passionate and zealous if he wants to i'll just be on the armchair waiting like that's not good enough but at the same time we have to recognize our need to come to him for what actually we 
we can't do in and of ourselves. And again, in that, you know, in Revelation 3, this bit to the church in the Laodicea, it's like, actually, come and buy, you know, gold and salve your eyes and road. Like, come to me. You know, don't just stay in your complacency. I'm fine. I've got this all covered. I'm all right. Actually, come to him for what you need. So we have to recognize there's stuff that actually, you know, only God can, I suppose, initiate and, and start that flame. But at the same time, there's this absolute partnership with, I need to keep that going. I need to fan that into flames. Does that make sense? Um, because otherwise, we can, there's these two unhealthy extremes, isn't it? It's like, so desperately, I need to f- somehow try and drum up and drag up from deep within me that actually I suddenly care about things and I, I suddenly desperately want to tell people about Jesus. And actually, it's not that it's coming and saying, God, you, I need you to change me. Actually creating me a, a clean heart. Start over again in me, God. Like, change my heart. I, you know, and chew, you know, repent where actually, God, I'm complacent. You know, actually, I'm totally numb to the needs of people around me. God, I, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not passionate enough about the fact that people don't know you, Jesus. And I know I've got the answers. Like, actually, God, it, can you see it? It's like that tension, isn't it? It's not, it's not good enough. And I know I have a part to play, but God, I need you to come and help. I need you to change me. And so we can be a people who are zealous for God. So it's that passionate internal state, but that is expressed in radical action. Because there's, there's three parts to this, the verse we looked at in Romans. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor as you're serving the Lord. And, and this is the thing, that the, the context is, listen, we're to serve God with the whole of our lives. That's worship, okay? Actually serving him. But we need to understand, listen, if we're only focusing on, I suppose, the the action part of zeal, the fact that it looks like something, there is an out to it. If we don't have that spiritual fire on the inside, one of two things can happen. We can burn out because we're doing it all in our own strengths, or actually we can just fall into doing it out of duty and obligation and religious, well, I ought to. And listen, while absolutely there is a place where it's like, don't care whether you feel like it, Jesus just says, do it. Like, like that it is. We're called, we're, dis, we're disciples, that means we're disciplined. So sometimes it's a commitment you just choose. But again, if that's all we have, and we talked about, we've talked about this before, haven't we? Like if all I have in my relationship with Phil is I'll choose to love him. I feel nothing, but I'll choose, I'll make a good choice to love him. Right, that would suck. Be a rubbish marriage. There's moments of that, but that's not a marriage. <laughs> Occasionally I have to choose, but honestly, if that's all I had, that would be monstrous. Like I feel some stuff that actually, and because I feel some stuff, that's why I choose some stuff. But listen, we are, we are going to burn out or we're going to become duty-bound and obligated miseries if all we have is, well, I've got to because Jesus told me to. And, I and there's not that passion on the inside. So listen, Jesus, help me with that passion on the inside because it's not there enough right now. I need to stir myself, but God, I need you to come and, and breathe on that fire, yeah? But at the same time, you know, it's all very well, you know, having that heart, but it has to have an out. And so, you know, sometimes repentance is, God, I'm repenting because the inside's not lined up. Actually, I don't care enough. You know, I'm not, I'm not jealous enough for your name. I'm not passionate enough to see your kingdom come I need you to change me on the inside that's what I need to repent of and change my mind that's what repentance means 
But sometimes repentance is for the fact that, do you know what, that stuff's in there, but it's just not getting out. And whether that's because I'm just being disobedient, whether it's because I've just allowed myself to settle and complacency just to sort of sit, whether it's because it's the fear of man or other people's opinions that just like, you know, I desperately want to tell that person about Jesus. I desperately want to pray for that person at work who's sick, but I just can't get beyond or out of myself then that's where repentance needs to come in. So we have to have these two things. In serving the Lord, we've got to, you know, we've got to be on this journey of God, change me on the inside, but help me get this stuff out. Um, not wait until we feel it, because absolutely discipline and obedience is part of the Christian life, but that's not it. That's not all of it, folks. So listen, I'm not saying that any of us here are sitting there completely lukewarm to the good news of Jesus. and like, meh. I'm not saying that's what we find ourselves. But honestly, I reckon probably for all of us, there are, there are areas in our life where we maybe have slipped into being lukewarm, a bit complacent, you know, settling for less than maybe we're called to. Maybe areas that maybe have never really been set on fire. They've never been really refined. Maybe there's areas in our lives that have never actually been completely submitted and given over to Jesus and said, I want to worship you with this part of my life as much as anything else. And maybe, that, and maybe that's the challenge for us this morning. Um, you know, that there are, there are lifestyle things. Maybe what, maybe it's, Maybe it's my language. Maybe it's what comes out of my mouth. Maybe it's what I do with my money. Maybe it is in, in the context of worship. Maybe it is in the context of, you know, serving the poor or telling our friends about Jesus. I don't know, but maybe there are things in our lives where we have, things are lukewarm. And, you know, the Holy Spirit is going to show us those things. Any area where I'm complacent, where I need to repent, where I'm lacking in zeal and I don't want to. You know, and it is, listen, it's going to cost us. And like we talked last week, sometimes actually a costly expression of worship, sometimes it costs us. So us bringing wholehearted, authentic, like I'm not asking you to look like anybody else and I'm not telling you prescriptively what this needs to look like, but I'm telling you to lean into the Holy Spirit and ask him, what do I need to bring for it to be you, to be authentic, but yes, costly in our song and in our life. Because the thing is this, Complacency is super comfortable. It's kind of a nice, comfortable place to be. But like, there's so much more. You know, zeal is uncomfortable at times. But I'm convinced it is a better by far way to live. I'm convinced of it. And, but so much of it is, you know, if, if me learning, you know, last week I was talking about me learning to be, you know, extravagant in worship, it's like I have to get over myself, stop taking myself so seriously. But it is these two dimensions. I need to sometimes get over myself and recognize there's stuff in me that's not whole yet. I, I need to get beyond that. But it, in worship in a lifestyle, it's just the same. I need to get over myself. And also, I need to get beyond myself. It's just not all about me. There's people around you and people around me who your lives are in contact with who need a touch from Jesus, and you're the answer. But we have to get over ourselves and we have to get beyond ourselves to do that. So I am as zealous in the supermarket as I am in, in worship on a Sunday morning. I'm zealous like nothing else and no one else is going to get in the way of, God, I want to serve you today. I want to give you something that costs. I want to give you something that matters. And it, it isn't easy. But listen, we're not called to do it on our own. And always, always, always the call from the Lord is, is returned to me. Even, you know, even in this really kind of challenging bit in, in Revelation 3, when he's, you know, he's really going after them. 
You know, he, he's not really got anything very nice to say about the Laodicean church. All the other letters in Revelation, he says some nice stuff and then some challenging stuff. This time he's just like, Bleh. But it finishes with this beautiful invitation to, listen, I'm standing at the door and knocking. Whoever opens the door, I want to come in and eat with him. The, that invitation is not to stay lukewarm, not to stay complacent, but no, the invitation is intimacy. Actually open that door and he wants to come and be with us and eat with us. Why don't you stand? Let's pray for one another. So I want to encourage you, maybe just remember those four things. Um, and listen, again, so much of these things, like there's a response in the moment, but actually it's, it's a, what does this look like? How do I walk this out? So think about those things. Actually recognize your lack. Maybe where you're like, oh, do you know what? I am complacent in that area. So recognize where you're at. Recognize your lack. Embrace God's discipline. It's nothing to be frightened of. Don't be daft and run away from it. Just embrace it. He loves you. That's the only reason he's pointing this stuff out is because he loves you. So don't run away. Don't run away. But repent of those things, which means holding your hands up saying, yeah, that's me, and it's choosing to think another way. But always the landing point is actually that we would come back. So, Father, I ask that, um, Holy Spirit, would you come and just be close to each one of us? Father, I really want for us to be a, a family of people who are zealous for you. God, we don't want to be lacking in zeal. And so, Father, I ask that you'd help each one of us to, um, to see what does it look like for me to shake off complacency. Holy Spirit, we just say you are totally free. We want you.